This week on Punch Mountain, flying buses, impossible missions, and a cop named Tequila. The past 12 episodes had a little bit of everything, and we're getting one last look at them before putting them back on the shelf. It's our inventory episode. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake and I'm joined as always by Mr. David Hotta. David, how are you? My friend Mac Blake, I'm doing quite well. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, David. I Oh boy, it's hot. It's so hot down here in, in Texas where I live. And also the state is terrible. <laughs> I've been fucking around with this thing called the Necronomicon, though, for like some cooling spells. My life is going pretty good. Klaatu Barata, nice. I don't know. I don't know. Oh my goodness, David. It's yet another inventory episode. Normally we would talk about one movie for way too long and at the end be like, we kind of liked it. But this episode, we're going inside the Punch Mountain Video Store and we're taking stock. We're looking back at the last 12 episodes and just kind of catching up with each other and just sharing some final thoughts about movies. Would you say it's an accurate description of what we're doing? I think that's very accurate of what we're doing. Tight, tight, tight. Well, David, right away, any opening thoughts about these last 12 episodes, which something about them, it just seems like this these episodes, even though they spanned maybe the last four months, is that is that track? Star Wars came out on Star Wars Day or somewhere around there. So yeah, it's been since May. That is crazy. I don't know how that happened besides my life uh, going into the toilet momentarily. What any any initial thoughts on this last batch or how we're how how we're doing? How you're doing? I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing okay. I, I'm I'm getting ready. I wear cat sitting this week. So uh, if you hear any noises outside, that's just Remy the cat. And we're just going to have to deal with it. I hope he's getting along in his environs. But uh, other than that, you know, steady as she goes, Mac. So how many cats are normally in your house? We normally have two. We have Mrs. Kitty and we have Boodle. Boodle. What's Boodle's origin story? Uh, well, she was the whole kitten caboodle. Uh, and so Ooh. that's really it. She's a little black cat. She was the second one we got because uh, the bombshell has had Miss Kitty since she was a teenager. And so that's her lifelong cat. And then uh, wanted to get another one. Wow. How old is Miss Kitty now? Miss Kitty is 15, I want to say, 14. Wow. Good job, Miss Kitty. She's a tiny little loaf of bread. I, I love her so much. You know, we still have the dog that my feral wife grew up with slash was raised by, you know, in her little sibling pack. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. The dog is 48 years old and it's 450 pounds. It's uh, a giant wolf that lives mostly in the house. We kind of have moved underneath it just because it's safer that way. But uh, it's it's insane. Yeah, the things it does at night to random people that it brings home. They're terrifying. I'll never forget them. They're burning in my brain. I see them every time I close my eyes. Other than that, doing good. Well, tell your mother-in-law I said hi. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, actually love, I actually love my mother-in-law. Shout out, shout out, Piedad, if you're listening to this. Which, Mike, if you are, that would be insane. Thank you. I recorded this, speaking of uh, house guests, my mother-in-law was over one time and she was staying in the room that's next to this one. And I think we were recording at uh, the episode for RRR when we got to the punch-up section, which is, you know, things we would do to fix a movie. I was talking about how much sucking and fucking I wanted to see in it. <laughs> I was really <laughs> selling those lines. And the next day I was like, hey, did that keep you up? And she's like, nope. And I was like, great. What do you call those word cloud things where it, it makes the words that you use most bigger than the rest of those? I wonder if like sucking and fucking would be the two biggest <laughs> words in our cloud. I hope not. I, I think it would be the kind of verbal word garbage we sprinkle throughout. You know what I mean? Things like saying, you know what I mean? Or 
something along those lines. Or, well, here's the thing. <laughs> you guys say Will Mack and Will David a lot. Actually, it's but David. But David, yeah, if you're like, oh, you guys actually don't say it that often. It's because I, I edit out at least 50 instances of me going, but David, <laughs> those dinosaurs weren't done yet. Sometimes you'll just hear it as, but those dinosaurs weren't done yet. Yeah, that is, that is a good edit. Okay, so this episode is going to work. Is We're going to go through episodes 25 through 36. Is that right? Yes. And just share some final thoughts. Some we will have a lot more to say on because we talked for fucking two hours about some of these things. <laughs> and then at the end, we're going to answer some listener questions, answer some very important questions that we have for each other, and then preview some upcoming episodes. So definitely check out the whole thing if that seems interesting to you. But David, before we go any farther, let's check in with two friends who are talking to each other right now. It's the shittiest setup ever for a friendship check-in. Our friendship, David, how are you? People don't realize how hard those are until we mail one in. But I'm doing quite well, Mac. So it's our friendship check-in for the inventory. So let's check in on each other. What media are you consuming outside of the, the video store? What, what, what's got your eyes and ears these days? Mm. Well, David, I am about halfway through Neuromancer by William Gibson. Have you ever read any William Gibson? I literally was just thinking about that this morning. That is wild. What got you into that one? Well, you know, William Gibson is somebody who I've just been aware of forever as this like hugely influential writer who is influenced, crazy how influential people influence things, <laughs> influence a lot of like works of fiction that I enjoy. I realized the other day, the only William Gibson thing I've ever read was his Alien 3 screenplay, which was not made into a movie, David. There was somebody else's. You don't say. And so I was like, you know what? Fuck it, man. Let's, let me get Neuromancer. It's the first book of the Sprawl trilogy. It's one of those things where like, I have so many books piled up that I haven't read, including some I'm like halfway through. And I just was like, fuck it. Fuck you, books. I'm going to read this one I just got. I think it came out uh, in 1984 or around then. It's crazy how prescient this book is. I mean, the term cyberspace came from this book. Uh, I mean, there, there are some things like someone uses a phone booth, you know, which just does not exist. But there's a lot of technology, like drone stuff that gets mentioned that just is like, wow, man, I can't believe this dude, this book was written, you know, almost 40 years ago. I haven't finished it, but I'm enjoying it so far. But yeah, how about you, David? What, are you, what other media are you into these days? So as far as books, I just finished a book called Scatter, Adapt, and Remember, uh, How Mankind is Going to Survive uh, Basically the End of the World. I forget the subtitle of it. Why do that to yourself, David? Well, get ready, because I'm, <laughs> I'm currently reading How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu, which is about people surviving after a pandemic and piecing their lives together. I'm just, I'm in that headspace these days, but I'll have you know, I'm, I'm counteracting that with Ted Lasso. Wow, there you go. Wait, Ted Lasso, did you just start that series or are you like uh, caught up? Are you on season three? Well, both. I, I just started it about a month ago and I'm almost done with it. It's, it's only three seasons long, but it was one of those that I dragged my feet on. It wasn't sold to me properly, because people have to know how to sell things to me. Because like seeing it, you know, when it first came out and hearing the people who liked it, I didn't really trust the people who liked it. And then hearing more about the show and getting the sense that it was kind of corny and it was just a lot of like dad jokes and stuff like that. It, it I wasn't in the mood for it. But I decided to take a chance on it about a month ago just because we have a trial of Apple TV because Major League Baseball can't get anybody to watch their baseball games on Friday nights. So they were just like three months free. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I figured I'd make use of it. Been watching Ted Lasso. If someone had told me, hey, what if Mac Brown went to go coach soccer? I would have watched that thing in a heartbeat. It's really just a guy who loves his boys, you know, and he's sent to a world where that don't cut it. You kind of have to win everything or nothing. 
And so it's a delightful show. I feel stupid for having waited this long to watch it. I've heard the last season's not that great, but uh, anybody who says that can go suck an egg until I'm done with it, and then I'll agree with you. But uh, no, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. What I heard throughout season three was, season three is a disgrace. Everyone who makes Ted Lasso should be ashamed. But then when it came out that season three might be the final season of the series, people were like, no, Ted Lasso, don't go. I swear to God, I'll fucking kill myself. (laughs) People are all over the map. Oh, yeah. And also, real quick, David, a movie that I saw in theaters and I really enjoyed was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Really enjoyed it. Tell me more. Yeah, I saw it a while ago. I'm surprised I hadn't mentioned it yet. And, you know, my expectations were pretty low. You know, Harrison Ford is like, what, 81? And, you know, you're watching this movie and you're like, just leave him alone. Please, just let him rest. How many times does he get hurt while making these movies now? Please, God. And the fact that, like, Spielberg, you know, wasn't doing it or whatever, I don't know. But it sucks that not as many people seem to be seeing it because it's a really enjoyable, I think, really well done movie. And you could tell the movie, like, really cares about Indiana Jones. Like, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, which I, I don't know why, but I did start rewatching the other day. Uh, I'm a masochist. Sure. But that movie, it's like, man, I don't think the script cares about Indiana Jones. It likes Indiana Jones, but I don't think it cares about him. But I saw Indiana Jones' Dial of Destiny with my dad. And we're in the theater. I was a little nervous seeing it with my dad because we were seeing it in an Alamo draft house. And my dad's a talking risk. And as you know, the Alamo mm-hmm. draft house, depending on you know who's working that day or who, who you're sitting next to, they could be a little militant about not talking. And there's a moment in Dial of Destiny which harkens back to a kind of a famous moment in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's very quiet in the theater because it's a touching moment. And then my dad, uh, at normal outside voice volume, goes, Oh, that's from the first one. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of expecting everyone to laugh, like, because he was right. And it was just, it was like a funny little, like, yeah, it sure is a funny little fill. But uh, no one got upset. No one laughed. Which, you know, what's the problem with this country, David? We, we've lost our joy. If we can't enjoy an okay Indiana Jones movie, then that's sort of where we are. But, like, I'm really glad you said that. When people started crapping on it, it didn't feel sincere. I don't know. I don't know how to explain this because I I trust the pedigree on this one. Like, what was it? Uh, co-written or solely written by James Mangold and then directed by Mangold? Um, I remember, I think David Kep had something to do with the screenplay, if I remember correctly. But I think a bunch of people worked on the script. Nevertheless, I mean, Mangold, to me, has been on a hot streak since 310 to Yuma. Oh, my God. One of the, one of the hottest streaks. I mean, I love, I truly, truly love Logan. And the care that he took with Wolverine... I imagined he was going to take that same kind of care with Indiana Jones. So to see people go watch the movie and then not connect with it, that really bummed me out. So I'm I'm reinvigorated to hear you like it. Well, did you like The Wolverine? I never saw The Wolverine. Oh, some people thought that was bad. I enjoyed it. But then again, I also enjoy Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 310 to Yuma. After that, he did Night and Day, <laughs> which I did not. Oh, no. I know. I didn't see. But also, by the way, my dad told me that was one of the greatest movies of all time. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, after Logan, he did Ford versus Ferrari and Indiana Jones' Dial Destiny. And before that, the Wolverine. So maybe not the hottest streak. Maybe I exaggerated a little bit with there, but he certainly is on a hot streak. So yeah, I mean, it, it was fun. I don't know if it's still going to be in theaters. Obviously, if, if you got to go, if y'all got to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer first or Ninja Turtles, you know, you, you know, I, I understand. You guys, do what you got to do. Or if you're like me, if you want to stay home and watch the third Magic Mike, that's also fine too. Uh, it really isn't. All right, David, it's time to do this thing. Mac, get your pricing gun. We're going in. Episode 25, Star Wars Episode 8. What? The Last Jedi. David, this episode uh, drove me nuts because I think this is one of the episodes where I accidentally recorded it using not the expensive microphone that's in front of my face, but the garbage microphone that was connected to a pair of earbuds. 
And so uh, our friend, Eric Friend is his name at Optical Audio, tried to help us fix it the best that he could. And so it ends up sounding okay. Uh, but it really was trash, and I was super pissed about it. Oh, jeez. This is an interesting episode, an interesting movie, because, you know, I don't use other action movie lists, like best of lists, as a gauge for us. But rarely is a Star Wars movie on there, and never a Star Wars episode eight The Last Jedi. But honestly, I was kind of surprised it ended up uh, as high as it is on the current rankings, which I w- believe is, what, six, seven? I believe it's seven. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's one of these things where it's like, Wait, how did it end up so high? Oh, I have an hour and 45 minutes where we uh, answer that very question for you. It is episode 25 of this podcast. Yeah, any any lingering thoughts about uh, the Jedi Ultimo? I was crazy surprised that it ended up as high as it did, but I was also pleasantly surprised that people were okay with it. I think the audience reaction to it being high was was welcome. You know, they were they were happy that someone wasn't being cynical or shitty towards the latter third of the Star Wars saga. So that felt good because, you know, I enjoyed the heck out of the movie. Like it really got me re-energized for the Star Wars saga enough to like want to dip my toe in it. But then I was scrolling through Disney plus trying to find a foothold on something. And I feel so disconnected with this. And it's funny to think about my relationship to Star Wars, to the Star Wars universe. And like, you know, I was a gigantic fan of it when I was a kid, but then it kept going. And so now you know, I'm I'm an old man, and this thing's still still young and vital. And I'm I'm kind of checking in with you, Mac, because I think you've watched a lot more of the the later generation Star Wars stuff. What is your relationship to Star Wars right now? Is it healthy? Is it? Do you feel good about it? Well, where where you stand these days? Yeah, I'm excited about it. After our last Jedi episode, I did rewatch uh, Rise of Skywalker, and that movie still is so bad. It really just <laughs> so makes me so mad about it. But the the TV shows, though, for the most part, the Disney Plus series, I mean, I think Obi-Wan was not as good as I wanted it to be, or Kenobi, whatever it was called. But, you know, The Mandalorian, sure, there's some things that are, you know, some uneven episodes here and there, but it's still a lot of fun. And oh my God, Andor, so good. Holy shit. I'm, I'm sorry to, to cut you off there. Could, could you give me like a quick elevator pitch on Andor? Because I'm so in the dark on that one. Well, did you ever see Rogue One, David? I did. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So when we start that movie, Diego Luna plays a character named uh, Cassian Andor. He's a very dedicated member of the Rebellion. In fact, he kills uh, someone, you know, without any hesitation, like very early in the movie. You're like, damn, this guy, he's fucking serious about this. And this is basically his story, how he goes from like an opportunistic like space hustler to someone who is a full-on revolutionary. And, you know, Tony Gilroy, you know, who wrote Michael Clayton and a bunch of other really good movies, he basically said, he's like, man... I, this cast of this movie in terms of speaking roles is huge on the Mark Maron podcast. He's like, I'm not slacking on this thing. Like, you know, I know this is like IP, you know, corporate intellectual property, but that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm making this the best I can make it. And, uh, it really comes through. There's some like, there's some heartbreakingly human moments in this thing. And just uh, the cruelties that we can, you know, subject each other to and, and the bravery that, uh, humanity can, uh, summon forth in, in the face of that cruelty. So yeah, it's a good show and I'm looking forward to season two. Hopefully, the writer's strike. Hopefully the writer's strike gets resolved and writers get money. But what I was about to say was, hopefully you didn't screw up this thing I like. I'm part of the problem, David. <laughs> and Book of Boba Fett was, uh, it was fine. Not that great. But yeah, I mean, I think the TV shows, you know, it, it's kind of what you want out of Star Wars in that you create this massive, expansive fictional world and then the movies like give you hints of things. And then in the past, it was up to like, you know, the extended universe stuff like the novels, role-playing games, cartoons, comics, that kind of thing. Uh, video games to like, expand on it, but now we're actually you know seeing TV shows take us to all this different stuff and and uh, show us uh, the e- evil Chewbacca 
So yeah, they're a lot of fun. Although I honestly don't know what the fuck any next movie is going to be. The question is, have the TV shows watered down Star Wars in terms of being a movie franchise? And honestly, I think, yeah, a little. Just because, you know, Star Wars came out so infrequently that it was like an event. And then now I don't know if that will be the case. But, you know, movies are tend to be more, you know, like uh, feel like events more than TV shows. So, you know, who's to say? Uh, obviously, if they get some fresh new voices in there, maybe we get a fresh idea. I don't know. But David, do you think you might dip your toe in the Mandalorian waters? I don't know. I don't think so, to be perfectly honest with you. I think I'm in my, my own head about it for the most part. I think I'm in my own head regarding fandom in general, especially with Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is one of those pillars. It allows for mega fandom, especially with the extended universe now, especially with the wealth of programming that's on Disney and just, you know, out there in the world. So I get a little intimidated by it. Like, I was thinking about this with The Simpsons the other day, where it was like, man, I used to call myself one of the biggest Simpsons fans, but, like, can I really do that when I've only watched 35% of their total output? Like, I, I don't know if I can call myself a fan of it, but I can still consider myself a fan of the things that I liked. And that's kind of where I am with Star Wars. Like, I love the original trilogy. The original trilogy is part of my growing up. You know, my the first movie I saw in a theater was Return of the Jedi. It, it just, it stayed with me forever. So to try to build on that in my 20s or my 30s or my 40s, it's tacking on to something that is precious in its own way when I shouldn't be keeping it precious. I should allow myself to, to grow with the universe that's growing. There was definitely a period of time when I was sick of Star Wars. And I was like, man, Star Wars needs to go away for five years. But honestly, like the amount of Star Wars we're kind of getting... You know, it feels okay. I mean, I, I grew up reading Marvel comics, and so every time there's a Marvel movie, I get excited about it, even when they're not that great. But honestly, now I've definitely reached a point where it's like, hey, Marvel, I love you guys. Make us miss you for a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what if you released one movie a year and made damn sure it felt as super different than anything else? But you know what? Uh, they're not going to do that. I'm still going to go see them, whatever. It's not, a, it's not a bad idea. If we had had five years after Endgame, I would have been super okay with that. Well, David, what about, we, we got two Spider-Man movies since then, including one with all those Spider-Mans. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get around to them. <laughs> That's the other thing, too. I mean, I'm just old, Mac. I'm old and tired. I don't have the passion to be out there opening night like I used to be. Um, so whenever these movies come to me, awesome. If they never do, I'll see you down the road. So you didn't see uh, Spider-Man meets Spider-Man meets Spider-Man? I saw Spider-Man meets Spider-Man. Yeah, I did. Yeah, oh, okay. I saw well, there that you one. go. There you saw it. I, I enjoyed it. I cried my damn eyes out, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 26, Jurassic Park. I'm so glad we did this one. This was unofficially the start of our Mountain Slayers run. Mountain Slayers. And that, to recap, was just going to be a run of movies where we thought they could take a run at the top of the mountain. These were going to be stone cold classics. And I'm so glad we did it. You know, the more we talk about action movies and action movie lists and, you know, and the greatest action movies of all time, I don't really see Jurassic Park appear on a lot of those lists. So to be able to give this movie a showcase, which is a very silly thing to say for one of the biggest movies of all time, but I'm glad we were able to shine an action light on it and say, no, actually, this movie is a little better than you remember, if you can imagine that. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those movies that when I look at where it ranked on the mountain, I do have kind of some second thoughts about it, which is funny just because, you know, in terms of this being an action movie, you know, what is the, what are the actions? It's running away from dinosaurs, dinosaurs chomping stuff. It's not exactly like the kind of action you see in any other movie. And it's like, well, is, is that really action? Or is that just like things that happen in an adventure movie? But fuck it, it feels like action to me, man. It, but you're right, it does not show up on a lot of lists. And it's funny that I occasionally have second thoughts about this movie, uh, because we got an email from one Mr. Uh, Brian G, we'll call him. 
And this email was very <laughs> sweet. Uh, it was about this Jurassic Park episode. And he says, as someone who loves that first movie to the point of being self-conscious about it, listening to you dudes show it the same love really meant a lot. Taking the time to point out how great the sounds that movie are was a mark out moment for me. And then he says the Dilophosaurus chirps and those Brachiosaurus whale-like sounds are right up there with the T-Rex and Raptor screams for me. And it was amazing to know that someone else has noticed the insane slide whistle Nedry slip. Another equally what the fuck sound moment for me is towards the beginning of the movie when Gennaro is visiting that amber dig site. Just before he enters the mine, there is an off-screen sound of him hitting his head on a beam, the cave, or possibly a landmine because based on the sound made, there's an alternate cut of this movie he never makes at Jurassic Park because he has split his own head in half. David, do you know the sound effect he's talking about? I don't. Now I want to watch Jurassic Park again, or at least the first 10 minutes of it. Yeah. David, actually, let's listen to it because we had a, the associate producer bombshell uh, pull the audio for it. Yeah, that is that is quite some noise. <laughs> that is something else. I, that really made me happy to see that email. That you know, that's what I want out of this show. You know, just what what is the best thing we could say about every movie? You know, even if it's not that great of a movie, which we'll get to later. Seeing that email reminded me what is so great about Jurassic Park and what is so great about this series. Yeah, in fact, David, Brian even sent us a quick doodle, a little digital drawing he did inspired by this episode. And it'll, we'll include it in our Instagram post about this episode. So, so check that out. It's a, it's a fun drawing. It's super cute. Thank you so much, Brian, for, for contributing. You warmed my heart and you got me thinking about Jurassic Park all over again. So the other day, Mac, I went and checked out Jurassic World Dominion, the most recent Jurassic Park effort. Have you seen this one yet, Mac? Have you? Uh, did you see Jurassic World Dominion? I've seen clips of it. Okay. Have you seen the other Jurassic Worlds leading up to? Yes. Dominion? I saw Jurassic World Boo, and then I saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which was all right. Okay. So there was just the one in between. So I saw Jurassic World, did not see Fallen Kingdom, checked in on Jurassic World Dominion. This series is unrecognizable, Mac. It really is. A, <laughs> there's a cloned girl. And the first half is like, they kidnapped this cloned girl. And the second half is where the dinosaurs come in. I can't imagine. Like, that was the, the fascinating thing about Star Wars The Last Jedi is that it's the eighth movie in the series. We plucked it out and just watched it and reviewed it as a standalone movie. And it felt like a standalone movie. It still felt like a part of a bigger saga, but you still knew where it stood with the other movies. Jurassic World Dominion feels nothing like Jurassic Park. Like, to go from that movie way back there to this one... I was so bummed out. It was really something. You know, I was at a uh, local Austin institution, uh, Toy Joy, way back in the day. And these employees were talking about uh, movies. And they, one guy brought up Air Force One, the Wolfgang Peterson-directed action movie where the President Harrison Ford fights off terrorist Gary Oldman. And he was like, man, I don't know. That movie's so bad. President fighting terrorists? Uh. And I was like, dude, that's the premise of the movie. If you don't buy that premise, don't see the movie. It's like, you're going to go see Scooby-Doo. And like, what'd you think of Scooby-Doo? He's like, I don't know, man, a dog that could talk? So <laughs> the premise of Jurassic World, when they make a new dinosaur, they're like, we switched a, a bunch of dino DNA from all these crazy dinosaurs together. We made a crazy new dinosaur and it turns out to be a murder dinosaur. The reason why they did that is they're like, okay, the park's been open for X amount of years and our numbers are down. People are getting bored of dinosaurs. That premise to me, David, I should have walked out right there. You know how I know people wouldn't get bored of dinosaurs? Because we're watching Jurassic Park 4. You know what I mean? Like, no fucking way. Ten years in, are we bored of seeing giant dinosaurs? No fucking way. But here's the thing. The beginning of Jurassic World Dominion posits a world where dinosaurs live among us. Like, they couldn't, we couldn't keep them corralled. 
So now there's just pterodactyls flying in the skies, like nesting in skyscrapers. There's like little hobo dinosaurs living alongside the railroad tracks. Like, man, this world sure did get bored of dinosaurs. Yeah, I guess that. <laughs> I got bored of your world, Jurassic World. Of course, uh, I remain a huge fan of Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous. <laughs> Hell yeah. Episode 27, Hard Boiled. I, I love this movie. The more I think about it, you know, I just wish it wasn't so GD long. But, uh, oh, shout out to BD Wong in Jurassic World Dominion. Hard Boiled's really good. And, you know, let's talk about John Woo a little bit since he is going to be the first talent to actually establish his shelf in the Punch Mountain Video Store. We've done three movies of his. This will be the second one that we've done. And we haven't even really scratched the surface of his career. Like, you know, he's got the Hollywood efforts that are hit and miss, but you look at his Hong Kong filmography, you look at everything pre-1993, there's dozens of movies there. Uh, I had forgotten about Bullet to the Head. I had forgotten I had, I had been wanting to see that one for years, and I've never seen that one. But there's just a bunch of titles. Like, that's another positive or another really fun aspect of this show that we do is that we're able to sort of dissect movies and pick out parts that we can go on a deep dive with. I'm excited to see more John Woo films, to be perfectly honest with you. As much as I was uh, a little bit over it, let, let's dig into some 80s stuff. Let's dig into some 70s stuff. Let's go. Yeah, I'd love to watch more John Woo. I mean, Mission Impossible, even though it's a John Woo movie, it's like Tom Cruise and that Mission Impossible franchise looms so large over it that until you start watching it, you almost forget that's a John. And also it's so like, too, you know, new metal or what have you that it just, I don't know. It, it, it's easy to forget it's a John Woo movie. But yeah, I'd love to do more of John Woo's Hong Kong stuff. It feels like we need to wait a little bit, though, because we've already done three. But you know what? Uh, no gods, no masters on this podcast. So if we want to do uh, six John Woo movies in a world, we're going to fucking do it. What are your thoughts on, on Hard Boiled Mac? Do you have any lingering thoughts on it? Well, I loved it, uh, obviously. Uh, obviously. Dude, when we were recording the episode, I mentioned, I don't remember seeing Tony Leung in anything recently. And then when I was editing that episode, I was like, ah, oh, holy shit. He was, I just saw Shang-Chi, you know, the Marvel movie. And I was like, oh, wait, was he also in Hero? And yes, he was. So, David, there's a scene in uh, Hard Boiled where I think Tony Leung runs out of ammo, he and the dude with an eye patch. And for a second, you think like, oh, shit, they're going to do some hand-to-hand combat. And then somehow we move on to something else or someone comes in and unloads their, their clip. After realizing like, oh, shit, Tony Leung, this dude's a legend. The fact that we were robbed of seeing his hand-to-hand combat skills in Hard Boiled, it's like, oh, this movie could have been even more awesome. Oh, I wish I, I mean, it, it was not that movie, right? This is a gun fu movie. It's not a kung fu movie. But at the same time, oh man, I really wish I could have seen Tony Leung just fucking rip someone's throat out or whatever. That would have been awesome. It's so wild that there was another gear to this movie that they didn't even hit. It was like finding out he's left-handed the whole time. But yeah, like it, it feels a lot like, you know, when Chow Yun-Fat made his way stateside. I mean, not that Shang-Chi was supposed to be Tony Leung's, you know, breakout hit or whatever. I, I think he's pretty long in the tooth by this point. But that's sort of, the problem with when they make it stateside, we're catching them on the tail end, so we don't really get to open them up and see what Tony Leung could have done in Shang-Chi. Yeah, I mean, he had a pretty good scene where he had a, a flirty fight. One of those things where it's like, oh, I'm going to fight you. Wait, hold on a second. We're in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he, he did okay. You get a little bit of a showcase for him. But yeah, it makes me want to... I mean, look, we haven't done any Jet Li yet either. So that that movie Hero, I mean, I, I remember thinking that movie was pretty gorgeous. So... It'd be interesting to, to rewatch that, see where that falls on the mountain. Episode 28, Speed! David, one of the delights of doing this podcast, besides the opportunity to catch up with you, young man, is the opportunity to watch movies with fresh eyes, right? Look, we've all seen Speed. We've fucking seen it. We know about it. It's a bus. It's got to go vroom, vroom. 
or it goes boom, boom. Copyright 2023, Mac Blake. But watching it and being like, all right, I'm going to put like my thinking cap on and really analyze this movie. It took a movie that is just so like, I don't know, we've just seen it so much. It's almost like wallpaper, right? You kind of like stop noticing it. To take a movie like that and to look at it with fresh eyes and realize, oh shit, this thing's good. Not only is this thing good, it's like fun and it holds up. And a movie that I felt on the onset was like kind of easy to dismiss, like, oh, this will be fun to watch, but it probably won't rank that high. And and maybe because its premise is so easy to grasp, you I, I kind of underrated it. But yeah, man, speed is fucking solid. I am so happy with that with how that one turned out. It was something that I knew was great, but I don't think people remembered how great it was. And I really wanted another opportunity to show it off. And this thing went as well as I could have expected. Yeah, you know, the, the response was really good. The position on the on the mountain was really good. I, I love speed. It reminded me that Keanu Reeves has a whole little mini career between the Matrix movies and the John Wick movies. There's a few action movies in there also. I'd like to go digging those out. Mm, name one, because I remember some of those being bad. What was the Ronin one that he had? The, oh, no, it was... Uh, oh, That was after Matrix. Yeah, that was like, uh, what, 47 Ronin? That, oh, that's right. Yeah, you know what? But I bet there's some redeemable stuff in those movies because Keanu Reeves is one of those guys, or I think I've realized that as he gets older, as I get older, we're like, he's picking interesting stuff. You know, he's not picking boring things. I'd watch a not boring, stupid action movie over a boring action movie. And, I, I, and I'd also watch a Keanu Reeves movie over a number of other movies. So I don't know. That Venn diagram's looking pretty good. Man, a movie that is not good that I enjoyed, Destination Wedding. <laughs> I wanted to see that so bad. It's like, oh, is this the movie? Are he and Winona Ryder just going to like have these, God, the most needling arguments? for 90 minutes and then probably fall in love. And David, that's what they did, but I liked it. Oh, Constantine. I was just about to ask you about Constantine because didn't I hear a rumor that they're trying to bring that back with Keanu? I hope so. It's great. There's the the intro scene when the when the devil, played by Peter Stormare, arrives. Like, top 10 all-time, like, character intros into a movie. It's just fucking great. And the cast of that thing, yeah, you got Shia LaBeouf in there, which I've... I forgot about, nah. but that cast is stacked. I think uh, I think it's Rachel Wise is in there. Of course, uh, Tilda Swinton and uh, uh, Jaiman Hunsu. Uh, yeah. And, oh, and of course, uh, who, who could forget uh, the man who uh, does not steal the show, but he sure is in there, Gavin Rosdale. Whoa, Bush's own. <laughs> That's right. Do you think that movie would have done better had they called it Hellblazer? Or do you happen to know why they didn't? No, I don't know why they called it Constantine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. And I'm saying that because uh, it is based on the DC Vertigo, the Vertigo title, Hellblazer, uh, which is about John Constantine. Yeah, Swamp Thing's pal, John Constantine, who was created because the artist really liked drawing Sting. Is that right? Yeah, I forget. Is it John Totalbin? Or it might have been somebody else. Maybe Stephen Bissett. But whoever it was, he just really liked drawing Sting and so like, oh, we'll draw here. John Constantine looks just like Sting. There you go. That's amazing. Yep. But, David, what is Keanu's character's name in this movie? It's something dumb, right? Jack Traven, Mac Traven, Jesus. that's right. Traven. Jack Traven at some point says, we're boned. That should have become Keanu's catchphrase, David. One of the crimes of the fact that we never saw Keanu Reeves in a Speed 2 or a Speed sequel was that we're boned didn't become the sort of like, uh, like the, you know how Star Wars uh, character wants a movie will say like, I've got a bad feeling about this. Maybe uh, I didn't see Speed 2 Cruise Control, but hopefully uh, Sandy B's character, Jason Patrick, at some point says we're boned because uh, th- that should have been the serious catchphrase. Don't you fucking make me watch Speed 2. <laughs> also, I have a note in here, which I'm pretty sure I talked about on the podcast, but for some reason I wrote it in my little inventory notes doc. So I guess I didn't. 
So if I already talked about this, forgive me. But there's a character in that movie. He's on the bus. His name is Ortiz. And at some point, Jack Traven calls him Gigantor. And then another person on the bus also refers to him as Gigantor, right? And I think I talked about how it's bullshit that this dude got this nickname that he didn't deserve, right? Just like, oh, I'm kind of big, so now I'm Gigantor. Because the shitty thing is like, let's say Ortiz, that character, who was helpful in terms of the, the hostage, the bus hostages go. He's, he's one of the helpful ones. Let's say in an act of heroism, he died. Then the other pastors will have been reporting on the heroics of Gigantor. There probably would have been a movie made about him later, and it would be called like Gigantor, a Clint Eastwood film, right? Which is like, dude, I'm not, I'm not fucking Gigantor, right? I live my entire <laughs> life as uh, I don't remember his first name, but something Ortiz, and you know, I have a, I'm a family. I, you know, these are my passions. And then uh, one dude calls me Gigantor, and next thing I know, it's like I give anything just to be able to say thank you to Gigantor. I wish he was still here. Yeah, I just happened to be a hardworking man with a thyroid disorder, and now I'm Gigantor. Thanks, everybody. So that would, that would have been another punch up. Just have a scene where at the end, uh, Keanu Reeves is like, hey, good job, Gigantor. And Gigantor's like, fuck you. <laughs> He's running around giving everybody nicknames, trying to make them stick. Hey, legs. Hey, stupid. I don't know, stupid. That's the nickname I give everybody. Hey, check out Gigantor, the nicknames. Episode 29, The Road Warrior. have a lot of lot to say about this one i'm still kind of processing it to be honest with you since you know the when we saw it for episode 29 that was the first time i saw it i liked it i liked it a lot i will say this you know because we talked about it throughout the episode it's a gorgeous movie it's it's a beautiful looking movie and we did give credit to the dp on this one dean semler i just want to take a moment and and appreciate his filmography or just well there's one movie in particular but he is also the guy who uh, who lends city slickers, and that's a very. Once I saw that on the IMDb, I was like, "That makes a lot of sense." He is very good at like the outdoors. Mm. You absolutely hire him to shoot city slickers. But there is an Australian movie from 1984, directed by Russell Mulcahy. He directed uh, Highlander. He directed Ricochet. It's a movie called Razorback Mac. It is also a very beautiful movie. It is a movie about a guy who seeks revenge on a Razorback hog that kidnaps his son. It is one of the best cold opens in any motion picture you will ever see. And the rest of the movie is so stunning. It's a fun movie. It's a silly fucking action horror. But Dean Semler makes that thing pop. Well, I'm hooked now because that premise sounds dumb. For the fact that you liked it, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, this dumb movie is good? That sounds great. You know what I mean? From the guy who brought you Deadly Prey, you bet. <laughs> My word is Bond. But yeah, The Road Warrior. I mean, I stand by what I said on the, the podcast where... This may not be the top of the mountain in terms of action movies, but also it's one of the few films that I would say is legitimate art. Like 100% like this is about humanity. Like it just, it's kind of fucked up. For a movie about car battles, it's it's shockingly deep. But I'll say that it has a lot of like little, I don't know, opportunities. If you want to pour your brain towards an avenue, like uh, then it'll trap you, right? Well, I guess you could say like it's one of those movies where it's like uh, it's almost like a stoner trap. There, there's a lot of little like things for stoners to uh, kind of uh, you know chew on for a while. For example, I was thinking about Lord Humongous, the, the giant bad guy of the movie, and the fact that he talks the most in the movie. And you know, you could just look at that as like, oh, well, that's what they wrote in the script. Who gives a shit? But you could also look at it as a commentary on language and speech being sort of like a privilege, right? The fact that he could talk the most is because he was in a position of power. The fact that most people in that movie did not talk a whole lot, that in a post-apocalyptic world, that when we're just consumed 24-7 with survival, the artistic parts of humanity get kind of like stripped away. We don't have 
you know, it's hard to write a poem, David, if you're starving. But the fact that Lord Humongous, with his gang's flair, you know, like they're all their like their biker outfits and leather daddy stuff. The fact that they have like a style to them, it's because they can afford. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm, I'm already. Am I thinking more about this movie than I should? No, I no. I think you're you're thinking about this movie the way it could be thought of because you're absolutely right. Like there is this sort of haves and have nots aspect to it where the haves have the privilege and the time to read or have conversations, have critical thought, focus on fashion, you know, you know, think about these things as opposed to the very drab utilitarian, we're wearing white because it reflects the sun better. I don't know. We don't really have time to think about colors or patterns. We just have to survive. And it makes me wonder, because you're absolutely right, this movie is art. And I think maybe I was a little too harsh on it when we did the episode because of Mel Gibson. And I don't mean to be revisionist about this. And I certainly don't mean to be like, you know, pretend that Mel Gibson wasn't a gigantic fucking star or still is a gigantic fucking star. But would this movie, would this series have been better served if they had cast somebody more prestigious or more, I guess, more of a thespian, someone who could convey art a little bit better than a matinee idol? Oh, so you're suggesting maybe kind of taking a page from Robert Rodriguez's book. Like after the indie success of El Mariachi, he recast the lead, whereas George Miller could have recast Mad Max after the success of uh, Mad Max. I don't know. I mean, I, I was fine with Mel Gibson in this movie, and I liked Mel Gibson up until I found out that he's very unlikable. I mean, it's easy to dislike him now, but I think he does an okay job in, in Road Warrior for sure. Cool. Okay. But yeah, he is the hardest part of the movie now, trying to get past the scumbag who's <laughs> very prominent. But David, on the Punch Mountain fans Facebook group, the group's moderator, Chris, shared a variety list. Variety.com shared their list of the best action movies of all time, according to them. And on this list, David, The Road Warrior was number one, which I have to say is pretty surprising because to me, The Road Warrior, while it is good, really feels like a warm-up to Fury Road. And so the fact that Road Warrior is one and the Fury Road was, I don't know, what, 38 or something? Something like that, yeah, some way down there. Or, sorry, 28. feels like, I don't know what you guys are doing. But David, look, if you make a list, there's things you got to do, right? You know, you got to put your own little like spin on it, like, oh, interesting, I'll put, you guys probably didn't think about this on the list, blah, blah, blah. But there's a movie on here, David, that just it disqualifies this list, right? And there's some pretty weak aspects as you're going through this thing. Like, I guarantee fucking to you that, uh, like, the Dirty Dozen 31 is pretty high. And look, we talked about that movie. And then I think they have, like, The Adventures of Robin Hood 1926 is on there. It's like, I, I doubt it. Sure. Coming in at number 25 on this list, the 2006 Paul Greengrass film, United 93. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, I feel like this is going to bleed into the thoughts that I had about Olympus Has Fallen. So let's just get into it now, Mac. This is exactly what I was talking about during the Olympus Has Fallen episode. If this is what passes for action in the mid-2000s, post-9-11, where it's not about thrills and chills, it's about realistic peril. Yeah, it, it makes sense in that context. But this it, lists like this should exist in a vacuum where it is just like, okay, action is action. Is this an action movie? I'm very surprised to see this movie on a list. Not to say it's not great. Not to say it didn't make me feel all kinds of ways. But good grief. It, this feels a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. This feels a little contrarian. Yeah. So then the person who wrote it said, it may sound disingenuous or insensitive to call Paul Greengrass's great docudrama about the hijacking of a United Airlines flight by al-Qaeda terrorists uh, on September 11, 2001. Oh, which, by the way, thank you. I totally forgot. It may sound disingenuous or insensitive to call that an action movie. 
yet part of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, here's the thing. You think it might be disingenuous or insensitive to call it, but it's just fucking wrong. And, and I, I'm going to stand by this because I, I don't think the events of that movie, even when it comes to physical struggle, I don't call that action because I do not think that action is meant to thrill. And I think that it's a, one of the defining features of an action movie. You know, it's not meant to thrill. It is meant, or not meant to titillate. It is meant to kind of to horrify at times. It's like, would you call a sexual assault a fucking action? I, I think this, this reviewer might, because it's like, nah, man, this, this is not meant to, as a thrill ride, right? This is the kind of thing, it reminds me of the, uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, which I feel like someone comes up with that, that take, right? Like, oh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. My reaction would be like, oh, that's kind of funny. Yeah, sure, great. And then there's somebody like, nah, man, you don't think it is. Because my ideas are, they're pretty out there. They're pretty wacky. <laughs> the idea of like that being kind of someone's personality. It, like, I feel like that, like, you know what's an action movie? United 93. What do you think about that? It just, it's, it just seems like, fuck off. It's also like, because I remember when I was younger, uh, I'm going to re- reveal a little bit about me. When I was younger and I wanted to know more about movies and the history of movies, where did I go, Mac? The World Book Encyclopedia. And I went to the Academy Awards section and I looked at all the winners and I was like, okay, this is a really good starting point to find out great movies throughout the years. Lists like this help, you know, because they're a good shorthand for someone to be like, I want to get into action. Let me get a list of these 50 action movies. But not knowing anything about these movies, by the time you get to 25, you're not going to get the enjoyment that you wanted out of this list. It, it's, it does not belong here. That's, that's really unfair. You know, this list obviously was written by a whole bunch of different people. But the writer that had United 93 there, they're also the writer that wrote the blurb for the number one, The Road Warrior. Uh, so I think you uh, may need to make a list of uh, people who should make lists and put that person on there. What sucks is like that's what these lists are for, right? They're just kind of meant to like stir up. Mm-hmm. Uh, some discussion and get some clicks. And so the fact that I, I, f- I fell for it, uh, you win list, you fucking win. Episode 30, The Seven Samurai. Mac, we talked about the length of this movie, really. You know, first of all, let me preface this by saying it's an awesome movie. It's, I love it. I'm so glad I got to see it. I'm so glad that this show made me watch it. I'm so glad that other people felt compelled to watch it. I know that uh, our friend Doug H. Uh, mentioned that uh, the episode compelled him to watch it. But, you know, the runtime was a killer. It was a real hindrance. But I'm here to tell you, Mac, I started watching it again the other day because I just really love the way it feels. Like, I didn't get very far. I think I got about an hour in. But just, like, having it on, you know, while you're doing stuff but still looking up and seeing The Seven Samurai, it's a very welcome addition to my favorite movies. I really love that movie. No, I'm right there with you. This movie's amazing. I'm watching it the first time. Like, we had already seen that it's been on a whole bunch of lists. You know, best action movies of all time, et cetera. But also best movies of all time, right? It's a mainstay of the sight and sound list. And so, honestly, you know, watching this movie and like, all right, we're just going to judge it on its action merits. This is one of those movies where it's like, this might be a little bit insulting to (laughs) this movie. But watching it, you know, at, at first I was enjoying it, but its action was a little underwhelming. And by the time we get to that final scene, my rhythm has synced with this movie. I'm fucking loving it. The action, I think, is great. But David, you did you watch this movie twice? Like you, you know, you uh, you've mentioned in the past your your standard operating procedure is uh, you is what David? Well, why am I describing? So I'll watch a movie the first time. I'll watch it with a bombshell just to get that sort of audience feel. You know, it's it's your first time watching. You're watching with fresh eyes. You want to see where the markout moments are uh, organically. But then the second time, it's more of a, a technical breakdown. I'm watching a little more closely. I'm watching performances, I'm watching direction, production, I'm watching all of it. 
So, you know, three and a half times two, this was a seven hour undertaking. And I was really dragging my feet that second time around. I was like, man, I don't want to start this thing. It's going to take half my day. But by pacing it out, by going at the, at the speed of the movie, it was no problem. But I mean, if, if a movie is good, it doesn't matter how long it is. You know what I mean? It, I mean, it does to an extent, but like this movie's great. It held up throughout the three and a half hours. I had no problem watching it a second time. I have no problem going through it a third time. So my question about that is, because it took me a while to kind of get into the action rhythm of this movie, the second time you watched it, you, did you notice any sort of difference in terms of how you felt about the kind of action beats of this thing? It was a lot easier. I'm sort of the kind of person who gets anxious about the unknown, if you can imagine that. But like, if I don't know how much time is left in a movie or if I don't know where we are in the movie, that sort of thing, I get a little impatient with it. I don't quite focus on the movie. So that's why the second time around helps. You know, I know what it's going to feel like so I can kind of get into that rhythm a little better. It, the second time around was actually a lot easier of a watch for me. Yeah, no, I, I believe it. But I'll tell you, Mac, watching The Seventh Samurai got me in the mood to watch more Kurosawa, but that's an undertaking in itself. You know, it's the John Woo problem. There's a whole filmography I'm, I'm not even exploring. But there was something else I wanted to try, and that's going to be the video game Ghost of Tsushima. It's a, I think it's a PlayStation exclusive title, I believe, but it came out 2021. It was on a lot of Game of the Year lists. You know, it's it's a samurai game. It's it's about Japanese samurai versus the Mongols. Uh, the Mongols are invading, and uh, they got to fight them off. There is an option in this game. You can select. Oh, it's going to play. You know, a kind of a theatrical experience, and it'll have. It'll have Japanese voice actors, English subtitles. It's going to feel more like a movie. Or you could select Kurosawa mode, which is a black and white filter over the game, plus Japanese voice actors, English subtitles. It's going to feel more like a Kurosawa movie. I started playing the game in Kurosawa mode. Mac, I loved it. But here's the thing. Here's, here's the problem I have with most modern video games, especially like the AAA big release video games. So I've started playing this game for like an hour and a half and I'm really, you know, enjoying it. It's, it's a lot of tutorials. It's a lot of prologue setting up the story. And then after an hour and a half, I'm like, okay, I got a pretty good sense of this game. Credits, act one. <laughs> it's like the game is just now starting. Like this is, I started playing Red Dead Redemption 2 a few years ago and had the same thing where it's like, am I ever going to get out of this fucking snow? And like the game hadn't even started yet and I, start, I gave up on it. So I think I need to get better about pacing myself when playing big video games. I think that's the problem. Yeah, games are long. And people like that, David. People like long games. I like the satisfaction of beating a game in three hours. That's what I, I like. Uh, bring those back. I like climbing ladders, jumping barrels, saving princesses. That's it for yeah, me. Yeah, and don't call it easy mode, too, because then I don't want to do it. Maybe call it something else. Call it winter mode. There you go. Hey, you want, a, you want a two-hour version of this game that's relatively easy to beat? Winter mode. Episode 31, Gunpowder Milkshake. I'm glad we're talking about this around the same time that uh, Barbie has hit theaters. We're coming off of a 156 million domestic weekend for Barbie. So guess what, Mac? Women have buying power. Did you know that? Like this, uh, half the population knows how to spend money. So th that was actually kind of one of the reasons I wanted us to do Gunpowder Milkshake, even though I hadn't seen it. I didn't really know much about it. But I wanted to give an opportunity to movies that probably were really good. They just weren't marketed well or didn't know how to market themselves or just completely missed their audience. So I'm, I'm really glad we did this movie, Mac. What are your thoughts on it? Well, David, this podcast was one of our longest. It, it was like two hours long, <laughs> which is a crazy amount of time to dedicate to Gunpowder Milkshake. But the fact that we dive so deep into it and talk so long about it, there's a reason for that, David. And it, it's kind of also the reason why... 
when I look at it on the list, I'm always like, huh, 18, interesting. Because it's one of those movies, like the fact that it's above Desperado, if somebody sees that, like, you guys are crazy, you don't know what you're talking about. I would almost say, like, okay, I get that. I, I get that on the, you know, on the surface why you might think that. But even though Gunpowder Milkshake, because of its flaws, at the end of it might have felt like a little bit of a lackluster viewing. Because, you know, it's one of those things where the things you wanted to pull off doesn't quite hit home runs on those things. But at the same time, the action in that movie is a lot of fun. They mix up the fights really well. The cast in the movie, the all the, the women in it are great. Paul Giamatti is uh, Paul Giamatti. So, I, I mean, it, <laughs> when I think through it and, and my thoughts on it again, I was like, yeah, okay. It deserves to be where it's, it's supposed to be. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, I feel like there's a lot of potential with Gunpowder Milkshake. And it didn't quite pull it off. But it, it still was really enjoyable at, at the end of the day. And the fact that some parts of it like didn't seem to make sense, like that most of it took place into a barely populated world. If your vibe is good, I don't care about those kind of things. For sure. Uninhabited lonely world, as we called it. The fact that it was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Uh, the fact that it doesn't make sense, I don't care, I like it. But David, one of the things that we kind of use to, to judge some of these action movies and, and action moments are things we talk about with like splash page moments. Like if you're drawing a comic book, you know, is this a moment that instead of just making panel eight on part of a nine panel grid, is this a moment that you would give an entire comic book page to? We talked about how Pacific Rim had a whole bunch of those. Uh, does Gunpowder Milkshake, looking back on it, does that movie have any moments to you that feel like splash page moments? Sort of. It more of like more of in a panoramic sense, if that if that makes sense. Instead of going uh, vertical like a page would, maybe go across two pages. And I, I'll tell you what I mean. I don't, I don't know why I'm saying it like this, but I think about like the the massacre in the diner at the very end, where it just goes from one end of the diner and it's just a pan over from left to right. Stuff like that. The bowling alley where you've got Karen Gillan on one side and then you've got the three stooges whose names I can't remember. They were called something. Boneheads. Boneheads. Thank you. Well done. But I'll tell you what, you know, Nava Pupushado and his team really know how to frame a shot. I don't know if I'd call them splash page moments necessarily in the same way that Pacific Rim had a wealth of splash page moments. But there were some visually arresting moments in that movie. Yeah, that diner massacre at the end. I not necessarily like a splash page, but if we're thinking about it in comic book terms. That'd be like a Brian Hitch fold-out where you're like, oh, this two pages are actually four pages, and you <laughs> he, he took the time to dry every bullet casing or, or something like that. When I, when I think of that movie in terms of flash page moments, I think when Karen Gillan's character crushes Yankee, the big bonehead, I think we crushes him with that, uh, that cookie jar tooth, which is actually, it doesn't hold cookies, it holds guns, which he crushes his head with that tooth. I think that is one of them. But yeah, I had to think about it for a minute. It didn't like stick with me. The way that like Pacific Rim, when he like uh, when one of the, the robots uh, sword chops a monster, <laughs> that one, uh, which just saying that reveals what kind of an intelligent man you're dealing with right now. But yeah, overall, Gunpowder Milkshake, uh, you know, it was good. It was, I enjoyed it. Episode thirty-two, The Mummy. Uh, I feel like this episode we got a lot of people who are like The Mummy. I love it, which I know I'm I'm on board now too. I'm I'm a mummy head now. I haven't watched any more of the mummies. What about you, David? Did you ever sing The Mummy? Did you have a Jones to, for more Mummy? So I'll tell you what. After we watched The Mummy, I knew or I thought The Bombshell had a copy of The Mummy. So I was like, well, let me see if they have like a director's commentary or something. And maybe I'll get, you know, or some featurettes. Well, I go grab her copy. Max, she has the trilogy. And I'm looking at the back of the box. And it's got, you know, Mummy, Mummy Returns, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, 
Roger Ebert says, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, the best of the series. Interesting. So I'm like, now I got to watch part two first. Mac, I watched The Mummy Returns. We're going to have to do that for the mountain. Oh my goodness. Even with the CGI of uh, of The Rock turning into a, a scorpion monster? I mean, because of The Rock turning into a CGI scorpion monster. It's the thing, and we'll actually, we're going to get a, a question later in the Q&A segment that's going to hit on this. So I'll, I'll touch on it now. But there's something about sequels. The quality of the storytelling isn't as good, but the action gets ratcheted up. This movie from beginning to, like, this movie starts hot. It is maybe the first 20 minutes are action or action-y. Like, it's very thrilling. I was very into it. Rachel Weiss, my goodness. I can't take my eyes off her. Brendan Fraser, can't really take my eyes off of him. The chemistry is there. The action is there. The story is deli thin, but I don't care. <laughs> it's it's so fun. I'm stoked to watch Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, and I never fucking thought I'd say that. Wow. You, that, that was the enthusiasm level of like a local TV news or movie reviewer. Like opening uh, theaters wide this Friday, The Mummy Returns. I loved it. The action is there. The romance is there. Uh, but no, I mean, that kind of enthusiasm, I, I, I'm excited too, to watch The Mummy Return, something I never thought I would ever fucking say. By the way, this this leads into a, a question. I'm going to Q&A real quick. Somebody on Twitter, which is now X, oh God, I got to get it off this fucking app. I have one more thing I need to promote and then I'm gone off that goddamn thing. Hell yeah. Oh, my bad. It was actually on Facebook. Well, <laughs> I saved that rant for no reason. There's nothing wrong with Facebook. Yeah, Facebook is great. No one's ever died because of it. <laughs> Jeff G says, how does the mountain let you know what movies you're covering? AKA, what's the process for picking movies for the show? Thank you, Jeff G. Well, I think the, the process is, is more or less that. It's like, what are we excited to talk about? Beyond that, if we're trying to touch upon a particular franchise, if, we're not, if there's not one we're necessarily more excited about, we're like, well, what's the best argument for this franchise, for this actor, for this director, that kind of thing? In the case of RoboCop, RoboCop, obviously the superior of the Robot Cop films, but I was more excited to watch Robot Cop 2, and so that's what we did. But sometimes when I can't think of movies, I did make a list of like kind of the the tent poles of the action film world. Uh, prominent action film directors, prominent action film stars, prominent action film like genres or uh, franchises, and that kind of makes it easy. Like when I'm I'm scrambling, I don't have anything to add. I mean, David, I feel like has no trouble, but I'll be like, oh shit, what do we what do we do? I'll go back to that list sometimes and and look at it. But yeah, honestly, it's but then sometimes it's just kind of like, man, what are we missing right now? And obviously right now we have not talked about any Jet Li. I haven't talked about any Bruce Lee. You haven't talked about any Bruce Willis. That's oh, interesting how that worked out. And and that list can can go on and include more than just dudes too. But yeah, so sometimes it'll be like, well, what's missing? What what tin poles do we need to touch? That kind of thing. But honestly, the short answer is, is what gets us excited because we're not going to spend time talking about something we hate. For example, I saw some tweet, somebody quote tweeted, uh, that uh, dumb shit, Ben Shapiro. My producers made me see the Barbie movie. It's like, I hated it, and my my review of it will be up tomorrow or whatever. And it's like, man, you hated this movie, and you're going to spend two hours talking about it? Move on with your fucking life, you sad sack of shit. Like, unless this thing is like a danger to humanity, which I doubt it fucking is, you goblin. How sad are you that you just need to, like, you know, latch onto something you don't like and, like, like chomp on it for two hours? So we may dunk on some movies we talk about, but if we fucking hate a movie, we're never going to do a podcast about it because life is too short for that kind of bullshit garbage. I mean, talk about the definition of insecurity where you don't know yourself enough to know, oh, I'm not going to like that movie going in. It's just not for me. But to to walk into Barbie, belly full of milk, thinking that you're going to, that this movie is going to have something for you. 
you walk out two hours later, it's like that. I didn't connect with that version of Barbie at all. It's like go jump in a lake. Yeah. Also, he's probably a terrible bigot too. <laughs> more, more importantly, that guy sucks. But yeah, you know, if I could piggyback onto Max's answer to the to the question, and thank you, Jeff G, for asking that question. I think it's a combination of what's in the zeitgeist because you know. We did Star Wars because May 4th was coming up. We did Mission Impossible because, you know, Mission Impossible is coming up. There's stuff like that. But then I also think it's kind of stream of consciousness where if we watch one movie and then that gets us thinking about this actor or this director or this genre, I think we'll follow that thread. But also, you know, yeah, like Max said, we do kind of want to fill in the bingo card. You know, I, I would love to get equal representation for a ton of genres, for a ton of actors, for a ton of nationalities. We're just going to have to be patient. You know, we're 36 episodes in. By the time we're at episode 1,000, this thing's going to be a cornucopia of all kinds of action. So I'm looking forward to it. And also, you know, listener suggestions. I believe listener Josh was sending me some messages recommending the movie Doomsday, and it got me excited to watch uh, Neil Marshall's Doomsday. So yeah, Jeff G, if there's a movie that you would love for us to talk about, lay it on us, man. I'm always excited about getting excited about stuff. It's because my brain, David, it likes its candy, right? Me stupid too, Mac. Love me candy. Ep 33 Robot Jocks. Speaking of stupid candy, Mac, I love this movie. I'm unapologetic about it. This was going to be my blue shell pick. Stuart Gordon, director of Reanimator, director of Fortress. All those hot classics. This was just a silly fucking movie. I'm just, I'm glad I got to introduce it to you. I'm glad I got to introduce it to the audience. Uh, yeah, this movie was an oddity. The fact that a movie like this came out when it did, it's just... It was nuts. Yeah, nuts. I I, I will say this. I'm going to lobby. We'll see how this goes. Because I think someone mentioned it on Twitter when this came out, that they had been trying to push this for a Master Pancake Choose Your Own Pancake show uh, a number of times. I'm secretly hoping an episode like this gives it a bump and someone takes it back to a Choose Your Own Pancake. I'd love to get this a wider audience. So, And I'd I'd also, you know, this is the kind of movie that uh, is, is ripe. Mocking. I, I think once you watch it in earnest, you're free to do whatever you want with it. So yeah, if, if people have seen Robot Jocks and found real estate to to make some jokes over it, God bless you. Go for it. I mean, if you ever burst into a Choose Your Own Pancake, and you're referencing the uh, Master Pancake Theater, Austin's favorite movie mocking group, if you ever burst into a screening uh, where the audience gets to suggest the movies with a copy of Robot Jocks, it would just it would be like that uh, reveal at the end of Fast Five when you find out Letty's still alive, David. <laughs> people lose their minds episode 34 mission impossible 2 another fun one just because of how crazy this was it was surprisingly unpredictable for a movie that i had already seen years ago even a bad john woo movie and i would consider this a bad john woo movie is not a bad movie to be perfectly honest with you yeah the missteps that the script did with tanny newton's character obviously bothered me but i thought it was super fun and i got a i got a message from a austin comedian very funny person so stole who said it was the best Mission Impossible. And I was like, all right, well, man, why? You know? And he says, stylistically, it's super fun because John Woo's fingerprints are all over it while still maintaining the classic elements of making a Mission Impossible with, like, the masks. <laughs> 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 Which I think is really the only thing. And also Ving Rhames. I really enjoy the cast. and The villain is cool. The entire last 20 minutes rules with the motorcycles and all that. Plus, I'm a sucker for long-haired Tom Cruise. Thank you, Sawyer Stahl, whose Instagram name is Dr. Hot Dog. Because it reminds me, David... That, you know, that's all action movies got to be sometimes. Sometimes it could be high art, like Seven Samurai, but sometimes, look, if something is cool, it's just fucking cool. If something is fun, like people jumping off motorcycles to, to collide in the middle of the air and like keep fighting, then it's fucking fun. Now, Tom Cruise is a goddamn psycho in that movie, in the first half of it. It's a horror movie, but at the same time, you know, Sawyer's got a point. I, I definitely is not the best uh, Mission Impossible. He's wrong, 100% wrong about that, but at the same time. 
Uh, this movie's fun. But it makes me wonder if they hadn't released three through seven, if it had just existed as Mission Impossible 1, Mission Impossible 2, if we didn't have other movies to compare it to that go tonally different or go in a completely different direction, I think I might have had a fa- more favorable impression of this movie. Because, yeah, it, it in a vacuum, it is a fun, stupid, silly, fun action movie. But to compare it to, like, the Stone series three through seven it, it it stands out we mentioned it a lot in the episode it's it is the the black sheep of the family but back after this movie i was in the mood to watch a little more tom cruise because i i after doing that episode i felt like maybe i'm starting to be a little too harsh on tom cruise given that we watched 1999's mummy a few weeks prior i decided to watch the 2017 tom cruise mummy the start no not the start uh one of the entries in the dark universe uh, after the Wolfman? No. Supposedly Dracula Untold or Reborn or whatever it was called. They were like, oh, this will be part of the dark universe. And then when that movie tanked, they're like, no, nah, it's not. Never mind. No one said that. And for those who don't click with what we're talking about, the dark universe was going to be Universal Pictures basically bringing back their famous movie monsters. The Mummy, Dracula, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Russell Crowe is in The Mummy playing uh, Dr. Jekyll, setting up uh, you know, the aborted movie. This movie was interesting in that it wasn't very good. It really did. It, it it was fascinating to me because it wasn't a Tom Cruise vehicle or, or it necessarily didn't feel like it was sold that way. It really did rely heavily on this is going to be our Marvel. This is going to be the Iron Man, the building blocks for this, this big universe that we're going to have. And for it to fall flat was wild. Uh, it's not a terrible movie. It's just, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. There's actually a couple really decent set pieces to it. The performances are pretty solid, but like it is around this time. We we just mentioned Night and Day earlier in this episode. Like Tom Cruise had some forgettable movies where they weren't bad. They were just like, oh, okay. Tom Cruise worked for three months and we got to watch it. Yeah. It's weird to see Tom Cruise uh, who, you know, we, there's a lot of talk of him being like the last movie star. It's weird seeing his star power take a back seat to like serve, take like a subservient role to like a franchise. Like the the demands of like this franchise, it's like, I will go into a movie knowing it will overshadow me. Is not something that Tom Cruise really does often or ever. Like watching Star Wars Episode Three, you wouldn't be like, oh, what are you going to go see? I'm going to go see the new Ewan McGregor film. You wouldn't say that. Right, yes. But so the idea that like, I'm going to go see the that mummy. It's weird that a movie with Tom Cruise exists where the main selling point is not Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, kind of, it's, it's wild or whatever. But did you like it, David? It's an okay movie to catch on TV. You know, if you fall asleep during the basketball game, you wake up halfway through the mummy. Hey, there's Jake Johnson. This is great. I started watching it and then I did not finish it. And I think it'll, it might stay that way. Yeah. Good for you. But David, I saw the new Mission Impossible movie, Dead Reckoning, part one. Oh, how was that? It was a lot of fun. Look, they know how to make these things, all right? They make them good. This movie was two and a half hours. Uh, I didn't feel like it while watching it, but I was like, why am I exhausted <laughs> after seeing this thing? It's almost like that movie was two and a half hours. Like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, it, and it was. And maybe we'll talk about it someday. Two things I wanted to talk about, though, David. There's a scene in the movie where Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell are making a getaway. And at some point, they're like, oh, they're looking for a getaway car. And they... He like gets on a Mission Impossible app and it's like getaway car located. And he runs toward this car, which he thinks is a getaway car, but no, David, it's actually a very small yellow Fiat. And they're driving this yellow Fiat and there's like little moments where it's not working and they're just going in circles. And David, the audience that I was uh, seeing this movie with was dying laughing. 
What? Like I was watching it and I was like, this is enjoyable. But see, it was just like erupting with laughter. Like the kind of thing where like people are like holding their face with their hand. Like, oh, I just can't even look at it. It's too funny. It's one of those like crazy pills moments. But it, it, the laughter was so sustained that I turned to my furrow wife who was, you know, chewing on the seat. And I was like, am I a robot? Is it me? Like, honestly, am, am I just, did something happen to me where I'm not full of joy as a human being? Because <laughs> these people are loving this and I could not be more sort of like, eh, it's okay about it. No, I think that's just people. I think, I don't know if I mentioned this in the Olympus Has Fallen episode. Have I talked about my Gran Torino experience where everyone thought that was a hoot except me? Well, uh, well, what do you mean by hoot? I mean, whenever Clint Eastwood was saying something racist and terrible, people were like holding their sides with laughter. Like this was just the comedy of the year, Clint Eastwood being racist. Okay, well, then, David, I'm one of those people because, <laughs> <laughs> because that movie was so ridiculous. Like he goes to their home and he doesn't <laughs> never stops being racist. I was like, is this a real movie? Like, is this real? Why did anyone tell me that this absurd comedy called Gran Torino? Yeah. But yeah, I don't think we're laughing for the same reasons. Did you ever see the Clint Eastwood movie, The Mule? <laughs> yeah. That's another movie where it's like, how the fuck did that get made? Like, I think Clint Eastwood has like a threesome in it. He does. It, it's another premise where he's like, hey, uh, my flower shop is going under. In order to keep my flower sh- business uh, above water, I'll become a drug mule for the cartel. <laughs> okay. But that movie's fucking wild. You got to make fantasies for septuagenarians. They got to have dreams too. But yeah, I mean, I, at some point, the racism in Grand Trader wore on and I stopped laughing. But uh, <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. like not a serious movie. No, no, it's not. An experience I had that reminded me of the Mission Impossible one. Once I, when I went to go see Deadpool in theaters, I purposely waited until that movie had been out a month. And David, I love Deadpool comics when I was a kid. Like I had the, um, you know, first whatever... 50 issues of the primarily Joe Kelly written Deadpool series. I also bought the original uh, Joe Madureira, Fabian Nicieza, is that how you say his name? Oh, Nicenza? I, I think so. The limited series Circle Chase. In fact, I remember <laughs> calling Toys R Us to be like, hey, do you guys have the uh, Deadpool action figure in? Is that in yet? And the guy on the phone was like, uh, go check, ma'am. And I was like, oh, that's a blow to my self-esteem. But I waited a month because I was like, oh, I need these Deadpool heads to like clear out. Still, whenever I saw it, the audience for Deadpool was like, this is the funniest movie we have <laughs> ever seen. Like every Deadpool joke, like crushed. Like I enjoyed, I thought Deadpool was enjoyable, but it was far from the funniest movie I ever saw. But uh, <laughs> not, not the same with that audience. But David, uh, Henry Zerny, who plays Adrian Kittredge, or Director Kittredge, or some, I don't actually know his title. In the first Brian De Palma-directed Mission Impossible movie, uh, he returns in Dead Reckoning Part 1. Now, Henry Zerny was also kind of like a, a diabolical CIA worker in Clear and Present Danger opposite Harrison Ford. And so I thought Henry Zerny was like going places because in a very short amount of time, this dude went toe-to-toe with Tom Cruise and Harrison Ford and like more than held his own. Yeah. When they got across the table of each other and they're staring down, and he's like, all right, hunt. I was like, damn, this dude has it. Like, could you see, like, look, I think Matt Damon is great, right? But could you see Matt Damon going, having a role where he goes toe-to-toe with Tom Cruise and Harrison Ford and, like, crush both of them? No, that's really hard to do. It really it, it really does take a secret weapon character actor where you only see them in this thing and you're like, man, no one is better in this role than this guy. Yeah, but he, I feel like he kind of disappeared for at least, you know, a long chunk of time. And maybe he was just doing other things. 
when he popped up in that movie, Ready or Not, that like horror movie, I was like, oh shit, Henry Zaren, he's back. Yeah. But uh, real quick, one more thing about the Zaren man. Uh, one time I came in and my mom was watching some movie and I was like, oh, what are you watching? And she's like, it's a lifetime movie based on Bob Saget's sister. Because she had this like, you know, sort of heroic struggle with a disease. And I was like, wait, so this is based on Bob Saget's sister. So a character in here is playing Bob Saget. She's like, yes. I was like, oh, I cannot wait to see who's playing Bob Saget. It was Henry Zerny. Whoa. There you go. But he shows up. He returns after being in Mission Impossible 1 and not, you know, being seen again until now. I think this is, what, seven? Mm-hmm. Some interviewer was uh, mentioned to Christopher McQuarrie or somebody else. They're like, yeah, man, this is really cool that he came back. And whoever, whoever they were talking to was like, oh, yeah, if you like that, there's going to be more of that in Dead Reckoning Part 2. And maybe they mean Jeremy Renner, or hopefully hopefully they mean Paula Patton, who just mm. kicked all kinds of ass in Ghost Protocol. But David, this is my promise to you, the listeners. If they bring back Nia Nordoff Hall from <laughs> Teddy Noon's character from Mission Impossible 2, or Tony Hopp, Anthony Hopkins' character, Director Swanbeck from Mission Impossible 2, when they appear on screen for the first time in theaters, I will say their name ad volume. Yep. If Teddy Noon walks on screen... I will at full volume in movie theater go, Nia Nordoff Hall? Just like stunned. If I'm holding popcorn at the time, I'm going to throw some up in the air. It, will anyone else enjoy that? No, this will just be for us. This is us. Yeah, that uh, I, that's encouraging. If it is one of those two, I, I, I'm, I'm there in the theater, I think. Yeah, right there with you. Episode 35, Drunken Master. Drunken Master is another fun one. Like John Woo's Hong Kong filmography that I was talking about earlier, this show is fun because you can discover an actor like Huang Jang Li, who played Thunderleg, and you can get excited about their deep filmography. You pull this guy up, it's just a number of awesome titles. It's a number of awesome character names. But yeah, I mean, he's in Snake and Eagle Shadow with Jackie Chan. He's in the he's in Game of Death Two with I think footage of Bruce Lee. But yeah, no, I, I'm I'm excited to see more of him. I really enjoyed him in Drunken Master, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more stuff with him in it. Yeah, very cool. And yeah, I'm excited to check out some more uh, Hong Kong Jackie Chan. And then the more we talked about that kind of like 90s resurgence, you know, the Rumble in the Bronx period. Yeah, let's find the best one of those and, and watch that as well, because those were the films that made America fall in love all over again with the young Mr. Jackie Chan. And by young Mr., I mean, at that point, old Mr. Jackie Chan. <laughs> Super Cop, age 50. The Tuxedo. I think it's the one he made with Jennifer Love Hewitt. That's the one. Episode 36, Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> Where were you when you found out that Olympus had fallen, David? Uh, I was I was sitting here talking with you. You know, we had our headphones on. We were doing a show. And the next thing you know, we're, we're talking about how Olympus had fallen for two hours. This is our most recent episode. Any any lingering thoughts about Olympus Has Fallen? I don't really have a lot of thoughts about Olympus Has Fallen, the movie. I, I really enjoyed that episode. I thought we had a lot of uh, fun and interesting conversation. But one thing that I thought of after the fact, you know, trying to sort of do a postmortem on the on the movie. So, uh, Mac, would you agree that this is a diehard in a blank kind of movie? Yeah, I would definitely agree that this movie fits the diehard mold. Yeah, and I was thinking about that, and I think that might be one of the many reasons. But I think that might be one of the reasons why this movie doesn't quite click. Because the appeal of the diehard in a blank movies is that they're relatable. That was the appeal of the original Die Hard. We've been in skyscrapers before. We've been in empty skyscrapers. We've been in stairwells. We've been in offices under construction. And we can let our imagination run wild and be like, oh, where would I be if Hans Gruber and his men came? You know, I would sneak here and I would tuck under this desk and I would crawl under the table. I have no point of reference to the White House. I really don't care about it. You know, so like when the movie presents the the device of, 
oh, there's hidden panels in every room. So, so disgraced agent Mike Banning can safely sneak in and out of rooms. I don't know that. I'm just going by what the movie's telling me. So I, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why there's a disconnect between this movie and, and maybe some members of the audience. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, this movie, a disconnect is, is a good word to describe this movie because, because we chose this movie, or at least if, if memory serves, because we were talking about Gerard Butler, right? And I was like, this dude's definitely an action hero. Let's fuck it. They've made three of these Has Fallen movies. They're planning a fourth. It seems like something that the mountain needs to talk about at some point. And I think uh, something that got overshadowed in this conversation is we didn't really talk much about director Antoine Fuqua. No, we did not. But when you think about Antoine Fuqua, what do you think about? Honestly, what comes to mind first are music videos. Because I remember he was oh, he was a big video director in the 90s. Because when he finally did break through, oh gosh, what was the first movie he did? Bulletproof Monk? Replacement Killers. I remember that one being promoted as directed by Antoine Fuqua. And I was like, who? So I had to look him up and it was like, oh, okay. He did a lot of videos in the 90s. None I can recall right now, uh, but like big time videos. But whenever I hear that name, that's what I think of. What about you? What, what comes to mind with you? Training Day. Like Training Day, you know, that movie that I think finally um, won Denzel Washington Oscar. Wait, did he win one for Glory? He did, yeah. But that was supporting. This was lead. Oh, okay. And so if you'd ask me, like, how would you describe Antoine Fuqua's style? Because I've seen a bunch of his movies. I'd be like, oh, yeah, he did Training Day. Like, that's, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. all I think about him is like, oh, man, how good was Training Day? He did Training Day. That's a Training Day guy. And so I, I was looking for searching around. I was like, is there an interview where he talks about his approach to Olympus Has Fallen? And the interesting thing about it is they sold the script in March of 2012. And this movie came out in March of 2013. And the reason why I got so fast-tracked was because there was White House Down coming out at the same time. If, we gotta, if we're going to make this movie, we got to make it now or not at all. Because they knew they had to be first to market. Otherwise, no one was going to go see their movie, which is kind of what happened to White House Down. But reading what actors were saying about Antoine Fuqua is that he brings like a realism to things. You know, like he tries to make things like the, the fighting in the movie. He wants to be like very realistic, which is kind of funny when you think about if, if that is the appeal of Antoine Fuqua is some realness because they made a movie called King Arthur. And it was like, hey, you know the King Arthur myth, how it's not really based on, it's not real. What if it was based on a real thing? This is that real thing, which I think is also the premise of the Super Mario Brothers movie, the first one with Bob Hoskins. Yeah. And then also uh, kind of uh, maybe Lightyear, that <laughs> Buzz Lightyear movie. But yeah, I mean, and Rick Yoon, the guy who played Kang, was talking about, he's like, man, nobody liked me on set. And Antoine Fuqua was like, of course they don't like you. You're fucking terrorist. You need to like start punking these people. He's like, feel free to shoulder check somebody as you walk past them, get in their heads. And it's like, well, this is, this is interesting. But you're bringing that kind of realness to a terrorist assault on the White House, which kills all these people. But the problem is the rest of the movie is an over-the-top action movie. And so when you have these this brutal violence in this over-the-top action movie and kind of like a you know, in my view, like a, a not very charming main actor, the result is kind of an off-putting movie, at least for half of it. I think in the second half, when fucking Mike Banning gets inside the White House and then he's like, did I kill him? Are you asking me a serious question? Then I'm like, I'm get on board. But the first half of that, that brutality of, of the, the violence there, the fact that those deaths all felt real, like, that's not what I want in Olympus Has Fallen. Again, pulling up his filmography, you're absolutely right. Grounded is a really good way to describe the Equalizer movies. It's a really good way to describe his Magnificent Seven movie, Tears of the Sun. Wow, what a what a career. 
But I wonder if like he, if anybody told him that they wanted a popcorn movie out of this one, or if they just trusted him and got burned on it. I, I don't know. I wonder if, if the studio that he made this for was happy with the output. I think they were. I mean, the story was that he had a meeting with a studio guy and he's like, look, there's a lot of expensive stuff in this movie. Are you actually going to pay for it? Or are you going to commit to the budget this movie needs? And the studio was like, yeah, let's do it. So I think it was a positive experience all around. I'm oddly now excited to watch the other Has Fallen movies, which I don't know what my problem is because <laughs> after I finished Olympus Has Fallen, it's like, well, that's that. I don't know if I want to watch that again. And then now, like a week later, it's like, oh, yeah, man, what, what, is London Has Fallen streaming? Let's, let's check that out. Did Rada Mitchell get a job at a London hospital? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. Why not? Like that's, you know, I think those movies exist on a frequency with their audience where their audience is okay with where it takes them. I just wasn't. But uh, yeah, I, I'd, Mac, I see myself seeing the other two movies. Yeah. You know, we talked about it. Is this someone's favorite movie? And we're like, you know, I, I bet it is. And now after talking about it, I do definitely feel like Olympus has fallen to someone's favorite movie. Although I stand by my statement where it's, if this is your favorite movie, I don't want to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you're probably intense in a scary way. <laughs> and those were episodes 25 through 36. All right, David, time for some punch-ups. Okay, well, these aren't actually punch-ups. I just wanted to hear those sound effects again. But David, these are some questions about the last 12 movies we did. David, of those dozen movies that we just talked about, what is your favorite action set piece? Oh, here we go. Okay, what an awesome question. My favorite action set piece. So, okay, the the Diner Massacre and Gunpowder Milkshake still delights me. I think about that a lot. It was a mark-out moment for me then. It still holds true. The Hallway Shootout and Hard Boiled is a classic, or if it's not already, it should be. Like, that was technically impressive. It was entertaining as hell. It was, it was the centerpiece of the movie, in my estimation, of a really strong action movie. But the more I think about it, you go with The Last Jedi. You go with the combination of the Red Room cross-cut with the Holdo Maneuver. That is a one-two punch that is far and away for me. That is That stands out to me as just a dazzling set piece. I really loved the combination of those two. What about you, Mac? Do you have any thoughts on uh, what, what, what's, uh, what's going to be your favorite of these 12? Yeah, an equally tough call for me. I mean, the arrival of the T-Rex in Jurassic Park is the definition of riveting. Like, that's just such an amazing sequence. That final battle and Seven Samurai, the, you know, just the, the chaos of it, the way those two heroes die just shows you, I don't know, man, it, it's, a, it's a cruel insight into to mortality. But then, yeah, the hard-boiled hospital fight is fucking amazing. And that Road Warrior final battle, there's some, like, chilling moments in that thing combined with some insane stunts that legitimately hurt some stunt people, which I'm not <laughs> excited about, but it just shows you how crazy they are. But yeah, David, same. That Star Wars episode uh, 12? No, what is it? <laughs> Seven? Eight. Eight? Get the fuck out of here. The Star Wars episode eight, The Last Jedi. Yeah, the Red Room fight scene is just, it, it, it was the first thing I thought of when I thought about it. You know, combined, yeah, exactly, with that, uh, that hyperspace maneuver or whatever from Lord Dern's character, Admiral Holdo. That was top shelf movie making, my man. Yeah, kudos to Ryan Johnson on that one. I don't think he gets enough credit. All right, David, again, thinking back about the last dozen movies, is there an action hero you didn't get enough of, one that you'd, you'd love to see the continuing adventures of? I am genuinely surprised we didn't get a hard-boiled two. You know, I, I can't remember Tony, Tony Leung's character, but Tequila, Chow Yun-Fat, like, he is such a cool character from the time we, from the first time we see him slamming that drink down, 
you know, how do you not build a franchise off of that? How do you not have like tequila three, tequila four, you know, and just follow him around? I, I, I think he's going to be my answer. What about you? Oof, that's good. Oh man. My answer was going to be Jack Travin and speed because I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to see him on a boat. I think he's made the right choice by turning down speed Two cruise control. You might say like, well, Mac, didn't we get enough Keanu Reeves action out there? He's got two franchises, you know, John Wick and the Matrix. But yeah, but in John Wick and the Matrix, those things are serious, man. Whereas Jack Traven, even though he's a fucking dick in the beginning of that movie, there's a real lightness and sweetness to him once the movie gets going that you don't necessarily see in a lot of Keanu Reeves roles. So yeah, but we talked about Detective Tequila. Of, that, of course, that has to be it. Like, just he's so cool and uh his dumb jazz uh the way he drinks it really sucks that we didn't get the continuing adventures of, of tequila david along those lines it's the brad wesley question was there a villain that you didn't get enough of like one that should have been elevated to like a series villain if that if that makes sense a lot of good villains in this run from 25 through 36 but i'm gonna go with general hux i uh, that's gonna be domino gleason in episode what? eight yes here's the thing because it's such an interesting character to have a villain in a star wars saga or a villain in a star wars movie who's not pure evil who's who's a human more or less struggling with trying to convey evil but not quite pulling it off did you ever read the the marvel darth vader series that they released a few years ago oh my god yes something on paper i was like i'm not interested in but that thing fucking ruled it's by uh kieran gillen and uh salvador laraca i believe not karen gillen uh, no, it's very close, David. It's Kieran Gillen. It's K-I-E-R-O-N, a very talented British writer. Yeah, but but I think about that a lot when I think about General Hux, where you know the, the thrust of that is essentially Darth Vader. It's post-Jedi. He's outside of the Force's good graces, so he's just on his own. You know, He kind of has to figure himself out. So I would love to see General Hux not really in power, almost like a rise to power. You know, and and it's it's the successes and the failures along the way. I find Domino Gleason engaging. I find the character interesting. I think there's a lot of real estate to make that a fun storyline. Well, but David, if you had recently watched Rise of Skywalker like me, you'd be a worse off for it. But in that movie, it's revealed that he's a traitor, that he's like feeding information to the resistance in order to undermine Kylo Ren. And so that's what he was doing between movies was he was getting sadder and sadder to the fact that he was like leaking information and being real pissy about it. So this is not a story I necessarily, I feel like I got it. Hey Mac, we don't talk about Rise of Skywalker. Can we just make that rule now? Fair enough. Uh, that was a good rule. Because <laughs> I don't want to, David. I don't want to. No. Let's see, who's your villain, Mac? Uh, I mean, I, I think everyone who listened to Drunken Master knows that uh, I want to see more of my boy Thunderleg. Because seriously, the fact that Thunderleg, we didn't get to see him actually kick someone's body apart using the, the, the patented devil's kick. I feel it was like a real crime. So I, I would have loved to have seen how Thunderleg earned his name. Before I die, Mac, I want to be able to walk up to a ticket window and say, one for Thunderleg, please. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> that, that would be amazing. All right, Dave, we got some um, info about some upcoming episodes we're going to do. But before we get to that, how about some listener cues and some Mac and David A's? Let's do it. Uh, thanks again to everybody who participated on Twitter and Instagram. First question is going to come from at Krull Nugget. This is going to ask us, any second guessing of any movie's placement on the mountain yet? Mac, do you have any second guesses about uh, about how the, how the mountain looks? Oh, absolutely. I definitely have some second guesses as to you know where some things are on the mountain. But that's the beauty of the mountain, David, is it's not subjective. It's not a guess. These are the answers. 
So sure, some things might uh, shift later on if, if the mountain decrees it. But look, we're just we're serving the mountain here. It's not up to us. The deepest my regret will go is immediately after it is placed on the mountain. It does not matter if I love the movie or hate the movie. I, I, I get uneasy knowing that it is locked in place. But like a few weeks later, after a couple of other movies appear on the mountain, I'm fine with everything. You know, we've got 38 movies on the mountain right now. I could justify the position of all of them, truly. Like, it's a really outstanding mountain. Yeah, I mean, there's one right now that I, in my mind, I was like, I, I feel like I would switch those two. But I'm not going to say what it is, David, because look, the last time I second-guessed the mountain, uh, the next day my, my car was uh, covered in dead squirrels. So I don't, I just don't want to fuck, I don't want to fuck with that. That's bad Kavorka, Mac. You can't be doing that. You're going you're gonna to get scarabs in your house like you did last time. All right, thank you for that, Crawl Nugget. So this one's going to come from at Tex Duncan. Uh, I was going to ask, what are the most appropriate movies on the mountain so far that I can use to introduce my 10-year-old to the action genre? Not including Last Jedi. That's kind of a gimme. That's kind of a gimme. Interesting. Well, if I was 10 years old, I would think Pacific Rim was awesome because it's a little gross, too. And I think in the way that 10-year-olds like gross stuff, like uh, kind of how Temple of Doom with its like monkey brains and eyeball soup was like the most disgusting thing I had ever seen at that point. But also, you know, like, uh, awesome. Although, you know, there's some probably racist stuff for that movie that your 10-year-old doesn't need until they're a little older. But yeah, I don't know. Pacific Rim, I think it's fun. Obviously, Jurassic Park. But Jurassic Park, interesting to the action genre. I mean, Jurassic Park feels kind of like its own thing in a lot of way. Ah, this is the problem, though. Back in the day, you could just be like, oh, hey, Terminator 2 is going to be on, you know, TV. It'll be edited down to kind of like a tame PG-13 version of the movie. You can stick your 10-year-old in front of that where you can't really do that anymore i'll say pacific uh, of the list i'll say pacific rim i think pacific rim is spot on a uh an edit of terminator 2 makes a lot of sense i'm gonna agree with at tons underscore a underscore con he's gonna recommend uh, we actually did both the mummy and jurassic park with our 10 year old in the last couple weeks and she loved them the mummy yeah I, I would go with that one too i think that's a very good matinee pg kind of uh kind of all ages movie i'm, I'm, I'm into that one yeah, Mummy's also a great pick, too, because there's some kind of freaky moments in there that a 10-year-old would be like, I'm watching something extreme right now. This one's going to be a comment. This one's going to come from at Poe Jarson's. Hey, Poe. I thoroughly enjoyed the Mummy episode. I always felt like the Mummy was the mad TV to Indiana Jones's SNL. I would agree. I think a lot of people would agree, and I hope we change some minds. Cool, man. I'm glad you liked the episode. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, Mac, this is going to be a question for you from at Zero Opti. More a question for Mac. After doing a movie on the podcast, do you still want to do a master pancake mock or does it take some of the fun out of it? It absolutely does not take the fun out of it. In fact, talking about these movies makes me want to do them as master pancakes. In fact, we actually, that happened with RoboCop 2. I was talking to John earlier about RoboCop 2 and how I just watched it and how the movie is nuts and how it would make like a good kind of like late night master pancake. And we in fact did do it at a, a 10 p.m. showing. Uh, the only problem was, is we did it as a double feature. And so at 7 PM, we did RoboCop one. And then at 10, we did RoboCop two, but people like bought tickets for both. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> like, I, I feel like it's like, no, you guys shouldn't have done both in one night. Like you can't, <laughs> you're going to be RoboCopped out. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it, it makes me excited to do some of these, uh, movies. And also like the fact that master pancake already had did had already done hard target and that I was not part of it. I feel cruelly robbed. <laughs> cruel maybe not the right adjective but uh but yeah no I, I, it makes me excited yeah you know uh, speaking as as an ex-pancaker i i wouldn't mind punch mountain kind of becoming like a minor league scout uh for some pancake titles i think mission impossible 2 would be a, an exceptional mock because there's 
sufficiently preposterous. It's sufficiently over-the-top action, but there's a lot of real estate. You know, between the action sequences, there's a lot of Doug Ray Scott catching scarves, and there's a lot of Tom Cruise uh, waiting for Tandy Newton to stop getting railed. So, like, there's a lot of stuff to to really make fun of with that. You know, I, there's a number of titles on this on this mountain that I think would go just fine. Yeah, I don't think this this would be a deterrent at all. Yeah, a good pipeline. And then we got one final one. Uh, this is going to be from at Tonzakan. You seem to have a penchant for doing less well-regarded movies in a series. RoboCop 2, Drunken Master 1, MI2. I know that one was our fault. Are there other series movies like this on your to-do list? Hmm, interesting. Well, you know, I think we just mentioned The Mummy Returns. And and I and talking about that one, I, I think there is something to sequels. I think there is something to, you know, just, just trying to pack a movie fat with action to make money at the expense of quality. There's something really fascinating about that. RoboCop 2 was that way. MI2 was that way. Drunken Master is an interesting one because, I, I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it. I think Drunken Master 2 is the one that gets all the attention and the recognition as being the greater action movie. So it was interesting to watch the first effort of that and watch how it built into what we will eventually watch as Drunken Master 2. Yeah, but with Drunken Master, the reasoning there wasn't like, oh, let's watch the lesser Drunken Master. It was more just like, let's watch a young Jackie Chan movie. And so that's that's what that felt in. But yeah, I mean, nothing is popping in my head right now. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, when it comes to like certain franchises, when the main movie or the most well-regarded entry in the series is something I feel like has been talked to death, I'm a little bit more interested in doing the other version of it. I mean, yeah, at some point we'll get Die Hard done. But honestly, like right now, if you ask me what Die Hard movie I want to do, it's like probably the third one or I'd be most excited about. And same with like Indiana Jones. I feel like Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably, you know, is the best in terms of pure action movie. But in terms of like set pieces, I was thinking the other day and I was like, I feel like Last Crusade might have like more action set pieces than Raiders of the Lost Ark. So yeah, I mean, it kind of just depends on on the franchise, but all, all in all, you know, if there's a movie that's like the best of the franchise, that's probably what we lean to. Like, uh, I'll, I'll talk about one in, actually in just a second uh, as well. Well, I'll say this, Mac. I'm a little impatient to get through John Wick 1 and 2 because I happen to think John Wick 3 is a masterpiece. But I don't want to watch that out of order. Like, that's one that I can't just pick as a standalone. So there's going to be a lot a lot of titles like that where it's maybe the second or third or fourth in a, in a series. But I kind of do want to watch the first two or three before I get to them. Yeah, John Wick, which is on our schedule. It uh, I forget what number episode it is, but it's, it will be an upcoming episode. That is a series where I do want to start and start with that one, which I didn't necessarily feel that way about uh, Mission Impossible. And that's going to be our Q&As. Thank you so much to everybody who participated. Thanks for all the cues, y'all. Uh, we do appreciate it. All right, let's talk about some, let's preview some upcoming episodes. We already gave it one John Wick. Also an exciting announcement is that we're going to start having some guests on. Oh, no. Our love affair is over. We're trying to spice things up. Time to get cucked. No, um, it's uh, we already got our first two guests lined up, and they're super fun people with uh, ties to this podcast. And we got some more guests, too, that we haven't even asked yet. And I, I don't want to give their names just because I'd, I'd like to get the episodes in the bag first. But here's my promise to you, the listener. David and I used to have a podcast called The Mascot Wedding Show. And one of the things I would do in the podcast was like try to line up guests, right? Like if if a comedian was in town, I would I would try to have them on the air, like try to get these prominent guests. And it worked out sometimes. We interviewed Simon Pegg for fuck's sake. But a lot of these people that came on or that we talked to, like I had no like rapport with them. You know, the fact that like, oh, you're doing this movie is a cool thing, but I don't really like know you. You know, I just thought it'd be like good for the podcast. And it just wasn't fun. 
sometimes like tracking down bigger name, you know, guests. So every guest on the show, if you're expecting like us to get to Conan O'Brien, yeah, you can forget it. Because if we have a guest on the show, it's somebody we are probably friends with and that we already like talking to. And we, and we think that, that you'll like him as well. Now, it does not, like, if you're like, oh, man, I'm Max's friend, but I'm not David's. I guess I'm never going to be on this podcast. No. I mean, look, I'll ask people that David hasn't met yet to be on the podcast. And yeah, heck, if there's people that we're super excited to talk about that we don't uh, know in person, yeah, at some point we'll have somebody like that on the podcast. But yeah, but our guests will be people that uh, we think will make for fun episodes. And something else, the an added benefit of bringing on guests is that we're going to get kind of a little more diversity in the choices because we are going to we are going to allow them to uh, submit their own choices for the mountain. So they're going to be picking the movies and I, I can't wait to see what they pick. This is going to be very, very exciting. Yeah, and some also some diversity of perspective. I mean, you had us two straight dudes talking about queer-coded characters in Road Warrior. Maybe we were not the experts on that. So maybe <laughs> it's probably a good thing to uh, broaden all of our horizons a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think, when is that starting episode 40? Starting with episode 41 is when we'll have our run of guests. Cool. So that's something to get excited about. Now, David, we've talked about it in the past, blue shell picks, movies that you think are probably like in the back of our, our boarding list, but now we're, we're moving them right to the top. Got any blue shell picks for this next upcoming dozen episodes? This is my favorite part of every inventory episode. I got to, to introduce the Dirty Dozen. I got to introduce Robot Jocks. Mac, it brings me pleasure to announce that my blue shell pick from 2014, directed by Scott Waugh, starring Aaron Paul. Imogen Poots, Kid Cuddy, Michael Keaton, Dakota Johnson, and Dr. Robot himself, Rami Malek. I'm going with Need for Speed, Mac. Oh, wow. That's based on a Vigia game, right? Based on a Vigia game directed by a stuntman, Scott Waugh, former stunt coordinator. This is a driving movie I have enjoyed since I first saw it. I've got a fun little story about the first time I saw it. I think people are going to get a kick out of this, and if they don't, I don't know. Get your pulse tested. Uh, This is a fun one. I I cannot wait. (laughs) I didn't enjoy this podcast episode and I went to the doctor. Turns out I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a blue shell pick, Mac. Let's hear it. What do you got? Well, David, we talked about it based on a listener question last time. They were like, who are some uh, non-male action heroes that, you know, you think deserve some discussion? And one of the names that popped in my head was Mila Jovovich. Like the fact that she had made so many of those like Resident Evil movies uh, along with some other ones. Yeah. So I think I might actually do another poll for this one. Because we're talking about like, how do you determine what, you know, movies in a franchise to do? Well, I did some Googling around today, like, what is the consensus pick of like the Resident Evil series? Which one's the best one? And it seems the the one that kind of floated to the surface was maybe Resident Evil Extinction. But also, I'm kind of, I'm semi-tempted to maybe suggest we do Fifth Element. The thing with Fifth Element is it's a movie I've seen about a billion times. Because I, I, I owned a widescreen VHS copy of it. And also Luke Besson's actually kind of creepy now. But I feel like that's kind of, like, people have seen it. Would it, would it be more fun to talk about Resident Evil movies? So when that comes up in the queue, I may put that to uh, an audience vote. Maybe not on Twitter. Hopefully it'll be off that trash app or X or whatever by then. But also, David, another movie which I thought about the other day, and I was like, I kind of want to see it. And if I'm going to see it, I'm not going to see it and not talk about it. The Henry Golding starring Snake Eyes the G.I. Joe spinoff movie. Let's go. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, even if it's bad, I don't fucking care. I want to check it out. Same. You know, it's one of those movies that's kind of unheralded. Like, I think, did we see the first G.I. Joe together? Oh, maybe. That's probably right. <laughs> also directed by the mummy Stephen Summers. That's right. Yeah. That one felt okay. So I guess going by the, the theory that I posed where sequels and spinoffs are crazier at the sake of quality, 
Are you kidding me? Yeah, let's absolutely get Snake Eyes on there sooner, early than, sooner than later. So those are gonna be our blue shell picks, Mac. So speaking of Twitter or speaking of X or speaking of whatever the fuck it is now that I am done with, so looking at the questions and looking at the answers that we posted on, on Twitter, I really enjoyed the responses we've been getting. I really enjoy the seeds that are being planted of a community, and I would like to cultivate it, but I don't particularly like social media these days. I'm not on Facebook or Twitter that much anymore. I'm not on Instagram that much anymore, but I'm intrigued by Discord, Mac. I started up a Discord server for Punch Mountain. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, I don't quite know what to do with it. I think in my head, I want this, I want the server to be fully formed before I introduce it. And like, here's all the features and here's all the channels that you need fully formed and ready to go. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So what I'd really rather do, we'll post the link to the Discord server on, on the link tree. And we're just gonna we're just gonna invite you all in and we're gonna build the community from scratch. You're gonna help us out, please. Like help us determine what this thing should be, if it's worth a shit or not. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm a little worried that I'm going to fall behind in like maintaining it, but that's what we've got the associate producer bombshell for. She's going to help out and we're going to run this thing. But Mac, I just, I really want a sense of community back, but on our terms. So I think this might be our last best shot to get a Punch Mountain community going. Yeah, that sounds great. No, I'm excited to, you know, keep those, those convos going. Cause yeah, I mean, I'm not on Facebook a whole lot. I don't want to be on Twitter anymore. And so, you know, there's a little bit of me that misses the message boards of old. So yeah, if people want to talk to us on Discord, I'm excited to talk. If it ends up just being me and David talking to each other, well, that's what this fucking podcast is. So more of the same. <laughs> Hooray. So we're going to get that link posted up on the link tree. Follow us, subscribe, do whatever. I'm learning the lingo as we go. I'm an old man, Mac, but I'm very excited to get in touch with the Punch Mountain fans once again. And folks, I guess that's going to do it for our inventory episode. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter for now and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, from 2014 and directed by Scott Wall, let's get one of those blue shell picks out of the way and watch Need for Speed. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.